0: Hey, so before we start the podcast, I wanted to kind of brief you guys a little bit on what's happening, what's going on, and what has been happening with the podcast that you guys probably haven't heard for, um, honestly, a few months. It's been since February. Um, Went on a little hiatus, a little unplanned hiatus. Uh, Whenever you start anything, whether it be a podcast, whether it's a vlog, a blog, or whatever you're doing... Uh, There comes a moment when I believe you have to question exactly what it is that you're doing, why you're doing it, and if it's what you want to continue with. Uh, The show has evolved, and I believe my interview style has evolved, and the type of people that I want to have on the show is also changing. Um, It's changing so much that I'm going to be launching a new show, and that show is going to be coming out soon. Uh, You will get word of the new show that's going to be coming out uh, I'll make a full announcement and push for the new show. I'll talk about it. But I'm really not even going to get into that, into this episode. And uh, what you're going to see is you're going to see four more episodes come out of the Social Strategy Podcast. To wrap up some interviews, uh, this was an interview that I did a little while ago. It's not really really dated, but there are some just nuggets of gold in this interview. So make sure you listen to it. Um, Tons of good notes that you can take from it. Uh, I was really, I had a lot of fun on this interview. Uh, This is one of my favorite of um, 2017. It is a good interview uh, for listening to for millennials. It is definitely a great millennial interview. So definitely check it out. This is one not to be missed. And I'll see you guys at the end of the episode. Hey everyone, this is Vernon Ross, and welcome to the Social Strategy Podcast, the best of business, wealth, and mindset. And I got to get used to saying that because I actually changed it. It used to be about networking and business and social media, but you know what? I never really focused on social media to begin with with this show. Um, and I'm just kind of figuring that out 94 episodes in that. You know what? Maybe (laughs) we need to do a little something different because I always end up talking to the person about mindset and, and their journey and their origin story, because that's what you really want to hear about. So I changed up my artwork because I was sick of looking at the same black and white picture that was rushed because I was trying to get the podcast out. And you guys kind of know all of the backstory to that, but Artwork's changed, the intros changed a little bit, it'll come off smoother next time. And the more I'm I practice saying it, I've practiced saying it just so I could remember what the heck I changed the focus of the show to. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> right, let's go ahead and get into the show. So I've got a millennial on, which is not like, you know, like, oh, I've got a millennial. Like I've captured something. It's like an elusive <laughs> right. <laughs> The rare millennial. Uh, That's right. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> well, guys, I, you know I've got I've got um, Whitney Hansen on. She teaches millennials how to pay off debt. She's got a really interesting story. She was managed. She managed to pay off like thirty thousand dollars in debt in ten months. I'm not exactly sure how you do that because I've never paid off thirty thousand dollars in debt in ten months. <laughs> especially as a millennial who apparently have the reputation for being lazy not following any type of directions or doing anything worthwhile other than watching Netflix and clubbing which i have the sneaky suspicion that's not the case so Whitney, <laughs> well, you're wrong
1: about the clubbing
0: right <laughs> so after I'm that right it's like welcome to the show.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, you forgot the entitled piece, too. That's another keyword that millennials tend to get pegged with.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, that was was just an assumption. We all know you're entitled. So
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah, I actually a lot of my work these days is, yes, helping people with their finances, but working with the media on breaking that stigma of millennials are lazy, entitled, blah, 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 living in their parents' basement, which is not always false, but trying to break that stigma a little bit more. So I love it. I think it's hilarious. And I love the conversation already. We're gonna have a good time.
0: Oh, yeah, we are. So tell me a little bit about not really money and yet or Mm -hmm. about this whole paying off the $30,000 in debt, because I want to know a little bit about how did you first really get into thinking that money was important to manage to begin with?
1: Mm, that's a good question. And it's kind of a, a sad answer. So pull out the tissues, I suppose, Uh-oh. but how it actually started was very much from personal experience. So I watched my mom stay in an abusive relationship where my dad was addicted to drugs for a long time as well. And it was a really, really bad relationship and not healthy whatsoever. And so I watched her stay in this relationship for about 23 years, I believe. And finally, she did divorce. And so, when I started to realize that money mattered, was when I watched her go through that process, rented a small apartment about two hours away from where I grew up. And we were sleeping on the floor for a period of time. And so, I remember one day my mom and I were walking, and we found a mattress in the garbage can. And so that sounds disgusting because people are like, oh, no, you didn't. But we did. And we took that mattress home and we were really stoked about it. So I was 16 at that time. And that's where I got my first true personal finance lesson that I actually remember, which is the true difference between a want and a need. And so that's where it all stemmed from. And then I got kind of nerdy and started to understand really early on that when you have money, you have options and you have the ability to say, no to situations and yes to other situations but more importantly especially for a woman too it's financial security and that is something that i am very very adamant about is having that financial security so that's where it all stemmed from the the love of money and learning how to manage it
0: wow well that that is an amazing story and thank you thank you for sharing that because that's really personal Mm -hmm. and i'm sure that's not what people were expecting to hear Um, Probably not, (laughs) you know, because I I think it's one of those things where, you know, from that bad experience and the struggle of watching your mom basically having to establish herself financially, even though she had been an adult for a long time Mm -hmm. because she was in an abusive relationship. So she didn't have control of her own money, I'm assuming.
1: That's exactly it. Yeah. And it's not an uncommon story. I, I get emails occasionally from people that are in similar situations. and It's it's heartbreaking. It's very sad.
0: Right. Yeah. No, that's that is really interesting. So as you're as you're growing up, you're 16 around the time that happened and you get a little bit older and, you know, graduate high school. Did you go right into college? How did that work?
1: I did. I went right into college. So the night of my high school graduation, I ended up back in uh, the city that I grew up in. It's called Burley. Um, So moved back there for my senior year of high school, graduated, moved to Boise that night and started cosmetology school the very next day. So my family was broke. We had literally no money for college. I was the first generation college student. So that wasn't something that I even knew was a possibility, but I knew I had to figure out a way to support myself. And so I did the Tech portion of cosmetology school. Mm-hmm. So it took three months. So that was my job to get me through undergrad was doing manicures and pedicures.
0: Nice. Hustler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Straight up hustler. Yeah. So, I was
1: glad to be done with it, though.
0: Right, right. Oh, I bet. I bet. So far, guys, this is not fitting the, the stereotypical lazy millennial.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I still Netflix on occasion, though, to be fair.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, of course. We all do. It's just, that's right. That's what Netflix is there for. It's, that's part of the, the whole purpose of it is you got to sit back into Netflix sometimes. But, you know, so far, not the lazy millennial. You, you've been hustling ever since you were pretty much able to.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. That's the one good thing I can say about my family is that's one of the lessons that they instilled in me very early on was that money comes from hard work. And that's something that I still to this day, I really pride myself on work ethic.
0: No, that's awesome.
1: Props to my mom and dad there.
0: (laughs) So how, let me, let me ask you this, that, that part is, is really interesting. And then getting, you know, using your skills that you learned as a nail tech to help pay for college and stuff like that. How did the figure competitions and bikini competitions, how did that happen?
1: Oh, that's so funny. So yes, uh, figure bikini competitions, same year that I graduated college, So it was 2010. It was a rough year for me. That's when I realized how much student debt I actually had. (laughs) And that's when I realized that the uh, not really clubbing, but my drinking was catching up to me in the form of weight gain. (laughs) So uh, my fiance now, but boyfriend at the time, were walking. And I actually had a homeless guy come up to me and ask me if I was pregnant. And I wasn't. And so that was like oh. a really really bad moment. Yeah, I'm like, "Oh crap." And so at that that same year, that's when I started putting together a plan to pay off the debt and to lose a lot of weight, which for me was I needed a goal. And so that's how I I motivated myself was by I have to be in a bikini in front of people in like 7-8 months, so I better get going on this. And so that's where that that goal came from. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. It's just sad, but you know, sometimes that's what it takes, I guess.
0: <laughs> no, you, know, you know what? That's that's actually not a bad way to do it. You you've got a goal. It's clear that if you don't do it, something bad is gonna happen, like you're gonna be embarrassed in front of you know, however yeah. many people are gonna be yeah, up like there.
1: Hundreds of people. It was awful.
0: <laughs> right. What was your first competition?
1: My first competition was figure. So that's where I initially began. And frankly, I was way too small for figure at that time. I didn't give myself enough time to put on some serious muscle. So I did figure four times and then bikini twice. And I typically do better uh, competition wise in bikini, but I'm actually going to be hitting the competition stage again, probably in about three to four years Mm -hmm. is my goal. So that gives me plenty of time to keep putting on some muscle and then hopefully go back to stage and kick some butt
0: nice nice yeah you kind of never lose the bug for it uh so mm-hmm. back back in the day like way back in the day um in high school right after high school i did bodybuilding competitions and kind of got into that world so
1: cool.
0: yeah yeah, so, yeah I, I i totally get the attraction to it and uh, anytime i see any, anything like that in anybody's background i have to know well how did it happen? How did you get it?
1: It's this? fun. Yeah, it was it's so interesting, too, because people, when they hear you paid off debt, and you competed in bikini competitions, they're like what, what that that's so weird. But <laughs> they actually went hand in hand. Because I mean, you know, from being in bodybuilding, it's a lot of like mental work and paying off debt. It's a lot of mental work there, too. So it was a good time in my life to make those big transitions. It It actually worked really well.
0: No, that's awesome. So After you get out of college and you really realize exactly how much debt did you have, did you study finance to learn how to pay off your debt? Or what was the process you Uh went to figure out, Okay, I've got this debt. How do I pay it off? And more importantly, how did you do it in 10 months?
1: Yeah. So how I started to learn about that stuff, my background was in accounting. And you would think, oh, accounting. She she gets numbers. She gets math. And they probably taught her how to budget for her personal life. Uh, Not the case, actually. (laughs) So it's kind of a bummer. But they don't teach you that type of budgeting when it comes to accounting or finance. So I had the basics. I'm I'm a numbers gal for sure. But I had been reading a lot of books. So I read uh, a lot of Dave Ramsey stuff. David Bach uh, loved David Bach. Smart Women Finish Rich was probably one of my go-to books. Mm -hmm. And so I knew. Fundamentally, the principles, and then I just put together a plan. And the plan for me was continue working at the salon job that I was really completely over. <laughs> uh, continue working there. I got a job right out of college as a staff accountant, and so I was an accountant by day and a L tech by night and weekends. And it was a no uh, it was a lot of work. Yeah, totally weird. Um, but seventy to eighty hour work weeks. It was. No joke. It was a very serious time in my life. So I didn't really have a day off. I didn't go out to eat, not once. I didn't buy any coffee. I rented my house out and moved in with my boyfriend. And some people are like, well, that's cool. But remember, financial security and independence Mm -hmm. is important to me. So that was a hard decision to do, but it saved me some cash in the short run and freed up all of the utility bills. Uh, So those were some of the things that I did. And then I just did little psychological cue reminders around my house I would write my goal on a post-it note and stick it literally everywhere I would tape my budget to my debit card so that anytime I had to swipe my card I had to remove my budget and see my budget too so it was like a double whammy so I had to see it (laughs) and then like physically remove it (laughs) oh my god I love that it's so nerdy, but it, it worked. It was that visual cue that I needed of, Hey, this is what your goal is. Let's keep, let's stay focused. Let's keep working towards it. So it's exactly what I needed.
0: Wow. that That is, that is interesting. So you basically just worked your butt off until you got the debt paid off.
1: hmm. Yeah. That's, I mean, really when people are like, what's the secret, the secret is hard work and sacrifice and I was willing to sacrifice a lot. And I was willing to work very, very hard for 10 months of my life. I I mean, I can do anything for 10 months. If it were 10 years, that would be a different story. But for sure, 10 months. I mean, I think you'd be amazed on what you can accomplish if you focus in on a short time period goal. You get results really quickly.
0: No, that's, that's super good advice. Because, you know, I think people, especially when they're talking about debt, And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of the focuses of the podcast has been is is to change more over to talking about your finances, talking about, you know, um, not just wealth from the financial standpoint, but from just a family standpoint, life and Mm -hmm. uh, living a rich life. And I think, you know, when you start talking about paying off college debt, that's usually the debt that you carry around with you Mm -hmm. for years. I mean... decades (laughs) decades <laughs> people yep. carry around college debt sometimes they never get rid of it I mean our right you know f- former president paid off his college debt it's right before the I think he got elected or something or maybe after he got elected it was crazy they had, like literally just paid off their college debt like right before yeah. the White House which is just insane uh, especially because I still have a little bit of college debt left so <laughs> <laughs> Now I think I need to, you know, well, not become a nail tech, but at least uh, no, don't hustle, do that. hustle a little bit more to get that debt paid off. But I th- I think as a millennial um, and someone your age, people have to be surprised when you tell them, exactly how hard you worked.
1: Yeah, I mean, they they always are. They're always like, whoa, does that mean I have to do this too? And my response is, I mean, do you want to pay it off in 10 months? Or I mean, what's your goal here? And for some people, they are willing to work very, very hard for a short time period, because it's a temporary life sacrifice. Um, some people are totally willing to do that. And some are just like, Nope, I will pay the standard payment. I'll be on that 10 year repayment plan. It's all good. <laughs> and it, that's where the, the personal part comes from personal finances. You, you're you the boss, you're gonna make that choice.
0: So now when you when you start talking to people about that, and they're like, Well, I don't you know, I'm not really trying to do this in 10 months. Yeah, it's great that that's your your story. And you know, that you wanted to work 80 hour weeks, but I I can't do that. There is a lot of other stuff that I like to do. What kind of plan can I go uh, go on first off to get control of the habits that Mm cause the debt to begin with, I think is the important part. So what you know, like what's what's one tip you tell people when they're trying to figure out, Okay, I know I have somewhat of a money issue, Mm -hmm. but what do I do?
1: Right. I think that's the, the starting point It's always the the hardest part. So the biggest thing you can do, this is a, it's an exercise. I, I'm also an adjunct professor, so kindred spirits there, Vernon. Um, yeah. So one of the things that I start with all of my, my millennial college students and my coaching clients as well is I have them print off the past 30 days of their bank statement and or credit card statement, depending on if you use both, you print off both for 30 days. And then, it's really important that you give yourself an honest analysis. What three areas do you think you tend to spend most of your money on? Or do you overspend on? So for most people, it's like eating out, coffee, and amazon purchases (laughs) it's always amazon (laughs) so if that's the case then you write that down on the top of your your bank statement that you printed off and then you assign a highlighter color to that and then literally line by line by line you highlight every single transaction that fits one of those three categories and what that does is once you get done with that Almost immediately, every single person I've done this exercise with starts to realize, oh, this is where my money's actually going. I didn't realize I was spending four or $500 a month on eating out. I thought I was only spending 200 mm-hmm. And so once they see that, they manually add it all up. That's when they can start to immediately start to make changes without even doing anything drastic. So then you can start to say, if I spent $400 a month on eating out, that's not saying that's wrong, but are you okay with that number? does your budget support that number? And if it doesn't, what is more realistic? So you can set a slightly lower budget for most people. And then uh, from there, you can start to track your expenses on a monthly basis, and just start to see how much are you actually spending through budgeting. And that's the best place to start. And it's one of the, the areas that I've seen, it doesn't matter if you make $12,000 a year, or you're making $200,000 a year, that exercise works every single time for people. So you're you're never out earning that.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Because I just added up my uh, as you were talking about that, I added up my coffee budget. Oh, dangerous. (laughs) I I didn't. I didn't. Shouldn't have done that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It it hurts a little bit. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Because I'm like, well, you know, I go about four days a week, which is actually that's not true. I started it off just lying to myself. Because, you know, usually you think you miss a day and then I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, but no, usually I make up for it if I miss it. And That's great. <laughs> you know, I, I'm getting a pour over because I don't want the regular drip coffee. So I'm paying five bucks for my coffee anyway. And it's, I'm not going to Starbucks. I'm going to some little private coffee shop. And uh, it's about $1,100 a year that I spend on coffee.
1: Right. Now imagine if you invested that too. And then with compound interest, what does that do over time? A lot, for a lot of people, that's literally your retirement.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. That's that reminds me of that the David Bach story. Um oh I forget mm-hmm. what he what his system is called. Um The Latte Factor. Yeah, the latte factor. Yeah, I was I was listening to that on the plane actually um <laughs> from FinCon. I started listening to his book, um, not realizing that he was speaking to FinCon for some reason. I think it had just forgotten about it. And I'm like, um, why do I know this guy's name? I'm I'm like, (laughs) oh, that's why his books in my audible and has been for a while. And it's one of the ones I plan on getting around to this, (laughs) this fall. And well, isn't that a coincidence? And I was listening to the whole latte factor thing. And it's, it's amazing how much money you actually have when you don't think you have any money.
1: It's true. It's very, very true. Um, sadly though, too, it. I think that is very a very good point. However, when you have a lot of debt or you're behind on your bills or whatever the case is, you are spending so much on late fees and just debt payments that you're sometimes not even spending that much on the quote-unquote lattes of the world, the eating out, the coffees, that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and instead you're making that debt payment, which it's sad because as a millennial – most millennials actually want to be entrepreneurs, but when you're paying so much in debt payments, it makes it really hard to chase that dream and go all in on it when you aren't sure if you can even pay your bills month to month. Right. So it's how, kind of a sad reality.
0: Yeah. How do you address that with, with people in your age group? They, they oh, want they so want to go out. Right. They want to go out and do their own thing
1: hmm. So for a lot of people, it depends on their financial situation. So if they're very much the average millennial with a debt and uh, student debt and car payments, then they're looking at easily $600 a month just between those two items. And so what I try to get them to see is, okay, if you want to do your own thing, let's do it as a side hustle for now and see if you can make a little extra cash on it before you go all in into a business idea that's not even proven. Uh, Get some validation first, talk to people first. And then if you can start to pay off that debt as quickly as possible, then when you make that transition into your business, your business becomes fun instead of a burden. And so that's one of the things too, is like, let's get rid of that debt as fast as we can. So then you can go fulfill your dream of changing the world at whatever capacity you want to.
0: Yeah, I see that one of the things you do um, is you've got courses. Um, mm-hmm. One of the ones is how to create a website, which is, uh, you know, an awesome way to start a, a really good side hustle. If you're going to blog, mm-hmm. you may as well have a website. You need to know how to create it. And you've got a course right here to teach people that. Um, it was interesting. I was looking through your courses and you've got this Crush One Debt course. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Crush One Debt, that one is, it's designed to get people excited about personal finance, but not overwhelm them. And the the whole purpose of it is to get rid of one debt as quickly as possible. So why this is so effective, this is kind of the debt snowball approach, where you list out all of your debts from smallest to largest balance. Um, Dave Ramsey is a big proponent of this. I'm totally with him in this area. And basically what you do is you find out what's that smallest debt And put everything you have towards that one debt. So pay the minimum payments on all of your others and then group all of that extra payment towards that smallest debt. And so why that's so effective is because it kind of ties into psychology there. When you get that quick win, when you see, oh, my gosh, I just paid off a debt and I didn't even have to do anything too crazy different. You start to get more excited and then you start to look around the house and, okay, what can I sell now to put more money towards debt? Or <laughs> what if I don't eat out? What does that do to my debt plan? So you get really excited about the process when you start to see those quick wins. So that's what that course is designed to do is to help you get that quick win as fast as possible.
0: All right. So people in your age in your age category, especially um, like here lately on Instagram, uh, there's the, the Gary V flip challenge where he's, you know, challenged people to, you know, find stuff around your house to sell so that you can make more money. If you want to, you know, do this startup and you're going to need funding for it, raise your own money by selling stuff that you don't use. Mm-hmm. Do you recommend stuff like that or have you ever tried stuff like that? And if not, do you are you familiar with the challenge? And I, I want to know what you think about it.
1: Oh, I freaking love it. I think it's the coolest thing in the world. Um, for most people, I think we we can all get behind side hustles. We all kind of understand, oh, if I mow somebody's lawn, I can make a little extra cash. If I sell my extra clothes that I don't even wear anymore to like a, a, a clothing resignment place, then I can make a little bit of commission. And so I think we we all inherently get that. But I think the people that take that seriously are the ones that see some pretty cool results, not just financially, but with their personal growth. So I think that's one of the things that I love, especially about side hustles, is when you take it seriously, when you try something, maybe you're drop shipping, where you order an item from AliExpress.com, and you ship it to people in the United States, Canada, UK, wherever it might be, um, that cost is so small for you to order that item. Yet It's so it's like you can still make a pretty good margin on that. But what you're learning is those skills that you can bring to any other company that makes you more valuable in the workplace, too. So I view side hustles as, yes, great financial incentives in the short run. But I I view it more as that long term growth of these skills that you're learning are incredible. And the best way to learn is with your own money sometimes. And to see like, oh, this is how this works. And if I put five dollars into Facebook ads in my drop shipping business, Uh, This is what I can expect to get out of it. I just think it's a really good way to go.
0: No, that's awesome. So since you touched on Facebook ads and drop shipping, I I think drop shipping is a really interesting way to get started, but I think a lot of people are scared of it. Have you ever done it?
1: Yeah, yeah, I have. So I'm experimenting with that right now. I have a a Shopify store called the Happy Pineapple. And (laughs) what I sell is uh, pineapple jewelry and pineapple phone cases and it's really interesting because I, I picked kind of a crappy niche I'm finding. But if you get the right niche, uh, you can start to make some good cash. So, how it typically works is somebody's listening and they're like, what is this drop shipping stuff? Right. Um, I'll give you an example of a friend that's doing this very, very well. He orders Rihanna phone cases and Beyonce phone cases from aliexpress.com. It's super cheap. It's like $3, I think, for the case and shipping to the United States. Okay. And then he has his Shopify website. And what he does is he finds Instagram pages and says, hey, how much do you charge for shoutouts? And they'll give him a little bit of information. And then he immediately will get his little picture of his phone case shouted out on Instagram for like $20. And that's how he starts to generate a little extra income. So there's not a lot of pineapple fan pages as I'm finding, but (laughs) (laughs) if you pick a better niche, it actually works extremely well. So I haven't made a ton of money off my drop shipping yet, but it's still been profitable. Oh,
0: that is, that is so interesting. And you know, that's, that's one of the ways that, uh, I know for a fact that I've heard, uh, Gary V talk about in his flip challenge and telling people how to build, you know, followings fairly quickly or how to get Mm -hmm. traffic to a page is to do a shout-out and stuff like that. And, and guys, what what Whitney just dropped is actually re- it's really significant because uh, you kind of just went through it fairly, fairly <laughs> yeah. quickly. Like, oh, well, you know, you just do this, you just do that, you do this. But, I mean, that that was a business model. You guys just literally just got a business model thrown at you in, like, a two-minute riff that was nothing. So even though she says she picked a crappy niche, I know she's going to pivot and do some stuff and have another $30,000 story in probably a a month or something
1: like that. I'm hoping so. I think it's a ton of fun. (laughs) Yeah. yeah,
0: No, it's interesting though. Um, I know there's a, there's a little bit of cost to Shopify. I think it's like 39 bucks or something like that a month. Mm -hmm. Um, Not much risk in ordering stuff from AliExpress, legitimate site, easy enough to get products. You just have to, you know, like you said, do some research on products.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: the happy pineapple is interesting. I I think maybe you pick pineapples. I'm just going to guess either one because you have a a love for travel and maybe Hawaii (laughs) is one of your favorite places because I just in looking at your Instagram. I see you've been like all over the place. At least it looks like that you've got a little bit of a wanderlust. I do. is, Is Hawaii one of your favorite places?
1: No, it's not actually. I mean, I I do enjoy it. But um, why did I pick pineapple? There was did you catch that phase where people were like all about pineapples? Yeah. So so I was trying to like key into that. But I I think I missed that bandwagon a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) But I do love Hawaii. I think it's a beautiful place. And I could easily live there if I had the chance to. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So what's what's the most interesting place you've been here recently?
1: I'd say the most interesting place was Venice, Italy. And the reason why it was so interesting to me is because when I was in fifth grade, I wrote a report about Venice. And in my report, I was writing down they they don't have cars. There's no roads. Like if you want to get around town, you either have to walk or take a boat. And in my fifth grade mind, I'm like, this place can't be real. That's just <laughs> I've never And so <laughs> so I actually got to go there last year and it was just as wonderful as my fifth grade mind thought it was. And I loved it there. It was incredible. Yeah.
0: Awesome.
1: It was freezing, but it was really beautiful.
0: Oh, did you go in the wintertime?
1: I did. I do. So I do most of my traveling in the off seasons because I'm super cheap when it comes to flights. Um, (laughs) I literally won't spend more than $500 for a flight. (laughs) 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 It's it's pretty bad. So um, we went there last December. It was really cold, but it was so, so pretty.
0: Well, I bet that was nice. Did you guys spend New Year's there?
1: No, no, no New Year's. Um, New Year's is actually pretty spendy to travel. So I I tend to avoid that time
0: Mm -hmm. mostly. So you would would actually rate uh, Italy over Greece?
1: I think I would. But I'm a little biased. My fiance would probably say he would definitely choose Rome over Venice. And he would probably pick Rome over Greece as well. But I just loved Venice. I just thought it was such a magical place, and the water's beautiful. It, people say it's stinky. I didn't get that impression at all. So maybe it, that was just the time we went. But it's so cool, and you're just walking through these streets that are super narrow, kind of creepy, most likely haunted, and it's just <laughs> amazing. Though the history is so cool there. I love it. Oh,
0: That's awesome. All right, so. As as someone who's paid off a lot of debt and you're conscious about spending money and stuff like that, people are going to say, well, you've been to a bunch of different countries. We know you've been to Italy and you've probably been to Greece and Rome. And Mm -hmm. how would I do that if I'm trying to control my budget or I'm trying to save money? How do you actually have the money or plan for, you know, vacations and stuff like that? How do you get that stuff done?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of flipping the model on its head. So most of the time what people do is they look at what destination do I want to go to? What days can I get off work? How much is it going to cost? I do the opposite. I say, how much is it going to cost? What days can I go? And then what's the destination? So the destination for me is actually last on the list. Um, There's plenty of places that I definitely want to go to. And I know I'll get there eventually. But that's not the way I, I travel shop. So when I do it that way, it saves a lot of money because your your price goes down significantly. Your flight and your hotel are like the two most expensive pieces of traveling. And if you can get that flight pretty cheap, then you're doing pretty good. So change the model first and foremost if you're trying to figure out how do I travel more. And then the second piece that you can start to do too is uh, of course pay off your debt so that you have free cash so you can go travel. But then just every single month, set aside a set amount of money, maybe it's $200 a month, maybe it's only 50 bucks, whatever you can afford, have that automatically transferred into a savings account. So when you do find a really great deal, you can jump on that flight immediately. So if I see a great deal from Boise, Idaho is where I live. Uh, we have a really bad airport here. <laughs> it's not not great. Um, but when I see flights for $400 from Boise to Europe, I make sure I have enough money to cover that flight in my savings account. And if I don't, then I don't travel. And so I think that's a, a good way that you could at least get started on that is don't destination seek. That's okay to do. But if you're trying to travel on the cheap, um, don't do that. That's a, a big waste of money sometimes.
0: That That's interesting. So I've never heard anybody give that type of travel advice, which is actually really good money advice as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it it works. Um, If you're looking for like a service that helps, I'm such a big fan of Scott's Cheap Flights. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have the time to sit there and search google.com slash flights all day, then Scott's Cheap Flights will send you notifications when there's really good deals. But he'll alert you through email of when those good deals are. So then you can just go on and and pay for your flight and then start to book your trip.
0: No, that's awesome. You know, yeah, we're we're actually looking now at where we're going to be going uh, next year because we we go on a family vacation every year and this mm-hmm. is the time that we usually start searching. But I'm have to I'm gonna have to look at doing that so we can save some money on flights. And and I'm not a expensive flight person either. So if mm-hmm. I can't do it on points or find some deal or some mistake that the airlines made, yeah, <laughs> you know I, I'm all about the cheap flight. So
1: Same. I'm with you. Like just next week, we're doing a family vacation. So my mom, I mean, you you guys all heard my mom's story. She's uh, a single mom still. She still has two kids at home. So she can't really afford very much. But when we found a really good deal to Amsterdam, we're going there next week and then taking a hopper flight over to Paris. So that's another little hack too, is if you find a really good deal in either like Southeast Asia or in Europe, the hopper flights there are so cheap. Like, you can easily get from one country to another for maybe $100. So if you see a flight to Amsterdam, but you actually want to be in Germany, don't sweat that. You can just take a hopper flight there, too, and it's not going to cost very much money.
0: Oh, nice. So, yeah, go to one place with the intention on staying in the other.
1: Completely. Yep, exactly.
0: That is really cool. So, I I wanted to, I did want to touch on this before we left. You also are a podcaster, and I forgot to say anything about it at the beginning of the show, but you run, you host the Money Nerds podcast, and you talk about all kinds of stuff, real people. And real stories, I think, is one of your is your tagline, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. So my podcast, The Money Nerds, is a ton of fun. I get to interview really cool people with just interesting money stories that have paid off a lot of debt or have really weird careers. Um, I got to interview a guy that was a NASA astronaut that spent 200 days in space. And so our conversation was like, that's cool. But when you're in space, what do you do about your bills? Like, how do you pay that? (laughs) So it's like, how do you manage your money when you're gone too? So we have really fun conversations. Um, So yeah, I'm very, very proud of my work at the money nerds. I'm having a really great time with it.
0: No, that's really cool. So I, I did want to ask you this. What, what do you think the most important thing about wealth is?
1: Ooh, freedom. It's the ability to say yes to the things that matter to you and no to the things that you don't care about. So maybe it's a job, Maybe it's a bad relationship, but being able to say yes to those opportunities, I think is what it really means to me.
0: You're you're getting married, uh, I'm assuming at some point in time within the next couple of years or so.
1: Maybe someday. Yeah, we've been engaged for like five years yeah, don't so we're, on, we're on the slow track. Right.
0: And hey dude, don't feel bad if, you, if you're listening to it. I was engaged to my wife, I think, for probably, I don't know, eight years. Or oh
1: something. you too. Yes. So, I'm in good company. Yeah,
0: don't don't feel bad. He'll he'll figure it out.
1: Yeah, exactly. Someday he'll get there. Yeah.
0: No, no pressure. No pressure.
1: I'm gonna send this to him now and be like, listen in, man. Right. <laughs> So,
0: so the question is joint or separate accounts.
1: So for me, it's separate Mm -hmm. for obvious reasons. Um, most of my clients, this was a big realization is they were hiring me when they were either single or acting as single in the relationship. And so that was a really big realization. And what I learned is that I used to think it was all combined. The minute you get married, you need to combine your money. But anymore, I'm a much bigger proponent of do whatever works for your relationship and whatever's less stressful. For mm-hmm. most people, that's separate accounts and then one joint bill paying checking account that mm-hmm. tends to work pretty well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we um we did the, the separate stuff at first early on in our marriage and started finding that we were just running into weirdness with trying to make sure mm-hmm. we... We transferred money into here and there, and so now it's just it's it's all in one account except for business the you know the business accounts. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's not a problem now. But I think that comes with uh, a lot of years together and maturity. And
1: that's right.
0: I don't really care what happens to it once it goes into the account anyway. So it's like "Ah, she manages the money. I know how much I have and (laughs) what's there, (laughs) but you know it's we're we're not huge spenders because i've got all my toys so it's it doesn't really it's not that big of a deal anymore but i i think that comes with with age and you know experience and bad stuff happening when you're trying to yeah. figure out the whole money thing and if it doesn't destroy your relationship it makes it that much better <laughs>
1: It's true. You got to build up that trust because it's it's one of those things where you see too many people just go all into their relationship and then have kids and then stay home and maybe not worry about their own education. And that, that can be a little dangerous, too. So you got it. You got to tread lightly. But ultimately, you got to do what's best for you and what you're comfortable with.
0: No, that's. I think that's awesome advice. And before we get out of here, I did want to ask you about your Instagram. And since you kind of mentioned Facebook ads and you, you've got a good following on Instagram and Facebook. What's one good piece of advice you can give people that are they're trying to do their side hustle and they're involved with social media and they want to they want to know, like, how do I start building a, a good Instagram following around the brand that I'm doing and around the the thing that I'm most interested in?
1: Oh, love it. So the, the thing that I see most people doing wrong with Instagram, which is something that you can easily avoid, is uh, treating it too much like it's a personal account. If it's a business account, everything you post should be something that's going to either entertain, educate, or get your consumer to take an action. So everything on my account, I try as best as I can to make it very intentional. And the other piece too is don't be overly salesy with your Instagram. You've got to treat the profile very much how it's supposed to be used. Um, Jab, 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 right hook. If you haven't read that book, go check that one out. Um, Super good. So Instagram is not an overly salesy platform. So if you get on there and all you do is post images that have buy my latest thing, download this, whatever it might be, it's a really big turnoff for a lot of people. So use it as a visual platform to build a more behind the scenes look. Um, So that's my tip for Instagram. And then for Facebook in general, the best way I found to build uh, a little bit of a following on Facebook is by putting that pixel on your website. And then retargeting people with very relevant ads. And then naturally, they're going to start to like your page and start to uh, naturally gravitate towards to that as well. So you don't have to do like ads or anything like that. You can. Um, But that retargeting, I found, works pretty well. And they'll just naturally start to grow your following.
0: Super solid advice. So even though, guys, we don't really talk about social media, uh, Whitney's got an amazing Instagram following. It's very engaged. And I, I love the Instagram profiles where I'll see like some organization to them because it just makes me realize how unorganized mine is. <laughs> but um, like, you know, you got the pictures, like every second picture is some inspirational quote. And then you've got the other pictures on the side and it just makes me jealous. But,
1: you know, I, <laughs> sorry, man, not not trying to make you jealous there. <laughs>
0: Yeah <laughs> Instagram it's profile envy.
1: Now, it's, yeah. I think it's
0: neat, though, when I see people that take the time to do that.
1: It's kind of fun. And I think the beauty of it, too, is if you're trying to grow your following when you don't have a ton of time or just, you know, be aware that people like let people know that you're actually online on social, you can schedule all of this stuff out. It takes maybe an hour mm-hmm. a week to schedule a month worth of posts. So schedule it out. Get it all out there. And if you have a theme that you want to follow, cool, do your theme. Um, but it, it's fun to see how people's Instagrams evolve over time, too. So if your style changes, that's OK. But ultimately, whatever people are resonating with, post more content like that.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I noticed with yours, you started off with uh, a bunch of coaching stuff and lots yep. of quotes and some travel. But yours yep. has actually been pretty consistent, Um all throughout i think which is something Mm -hmm. that i find rare on instagrams especially when you have coaches um they usually start off pretty random yes (laughs) and yours is actually fairly consistent like from the very first post because anytime i interview anybody i go if i can I go all the way back to their first instagram (laughs) post yep and like it just first off to creep them out that i went that far (laughs) Yeah, they're like, who is this guy? <laughs> All the way back, and you'll see it pop up. Like, what? Awesome. Really? Really? You know, it's it's fun. It's uh-huh. just something to do just to throw people off. But, no, I think it's it's really good, and it's consistent. Uh, you've shown, just over the period of time, your your actual love for travel and a lot of the positive mindset that I think you have to have, even though you went through some really crappy stuff growing mm-hmm. up, you know, dealing with the money issues, you didn't let it become a negative thing. And so, you know, to kind of wrap it up, I wanted to know, what's your what's your tip for, like controlling your mindset, staying positive, and not not getting down on money, or Mm -hmm. getting down on, you know, not having it and staying positive throughout your savings journey?
1: Oh, I love it. Such a good question. So the biggest tip I can give you for continuing to have a positive mindset with money is to be very intentional about what you feed your mind. So don't listen to negative people, feed your mind positive information. So listen to podcasts that are going to inspire you and help you along your journey. Listen to audiobooks books in your, your commute to work. Uh, make sure that you are very intentional about what you put inside of your mind. I think that's one of the biggest places to to start. And then ultimately realize that it's a daily battle. It's not something that's one and done. So you can't listen to a podcast and be like, all right, I'm good for the next two months. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so you have, you have to continually feed your mind positive information. And that's how I think it, you can get that that positive mindset.
0: Well, that that is really solid advice. And uh, Whitney, I thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been fun. Uh, One of my more fun interviews. I I, I like the fact that uh, I'm doing more about money and money nerds, as you call yourself.
1: (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Vernon. It was so much fun chatting with you, too. And I, I appreciate you having me.
0: Well, thanks so much. I appreciate it.